is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, March 8, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Bruce Baldwin, Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwink are working back in Bristol. I'm Buster Only. I'm working from my home in Montana. Uh, the next round of the World Baseball Classic has kicked off. Yesterday, the Netherlands played Cuba, and the Netherlands put together a three-run rally in the sixth inning. Three strike in every out, and the pitch is grounded up the middle. Now scoot on through for a base hit. Around third comes Gregorius, and the Netherlands has its first lead in the 2023 Classic. It's 2-1 to one in the sixth. And they would go on and win 4-2. This morning, Panama beat Chinese Taipei 12-5. Taylor, up. Uh, I imagine you were there for the first pitch at 6 a.m. Eastern time, right? Ooh, you know, Buster, I'm on the opposite schedule, so I watched a little bit of this Cuba-Netherlands game last night, which was That's a, fair. Quite That's a treat. fair. Quite a treat. So, were you up watching it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. I'm in bed early uh, and then get up early. I was up at 4 o'clock to, to see the start of this game, but last night's game, no, and your note came in overnight. Uh, you're right. You're, you're, you're a late-night person. We're actually a good match in that regard. Yes, absolutely. All right, we're going to have a conversation about injuries impacting the National League East race. Since our last podcast on Monday, we learned that Jose Quintana has been sidelined with a rib injury. Uh, we're waiting for the Phillies to tell us what's going on with the elbow of Andrew Painter. And Kyle Wright is trying to progress from a shoulder issue that he's had during the offseason. So the Mets, the Phillies, the Braves all having injury situations. Dave Schoenfield's going to talk to us about that. Uh, some good news for the Red Sox. The other day, Chris Sale struck out two batters in his spring training debut. He's throwing hard. He was looking good. The news about Justin Turner wasn't so great. Here's what happened in the exhibition game on Monday. To one. Oh, my God. It's Turner. Look out. Up and in on Justin Turner from Matt Manning as he gets medical attention and the crowd respecting him. Yeah, so he got a huge laceration on the left side of his face. He needed 16 stitches, but as he tweeted out yesterday, no broken bones. So that was a big relief uh, for Justin Turner. You would assume that uh, it's not something that's going to keep him out for very long. Aaron Judge looks good this spring. Here's what he did. Yankees leading 3-0, first and third, nobody out. And it's 1-2 and two on Aaron Judge. As Judge cranks that seats in right. Aaron Judge deposits a three-run homer, his first of the spring. Paul Ambikides is going to come up and talk about the over-under that we're seeing on Judge with home runs, some as low as 42.5, some as high as 45.5. Hembo's got a distinct opinion on where this potentially is going to land. The Reds reassigned veteran right-handed pitcher Chase Anderson to their major league camp. He had been in their minor league camp, but uh, the Reds looking for some pitching, make that move. Noah Syndergaard, who worked on his velocity in the offseason, he's been throwing harder. He's looked good so far. Grisham strikes out looking, and he's one away. That's how Syndergaard's day begins. Swing and a miss, and out on strikes is Witte, a nine-pitch inning. He's perfect through three. Oh, good outing for Syndergaard. A great outing for Syndergaard, a great sign for the Dodgers. You know, with those three perfect innings, he wound up striking out two. And we got word that Lorenzo Kane is going to retire this summer as a Royal. Uh, he made that announcement the other day. He said, I left in the hands of my boys. Uh, he's got three kids, five to eight. 
I said, hey, do you guys want daddy to continue to play ball? Or are you ready for daddy to be done and go home? And they said, dad, we want you to go home. So that's uh, great news for Lorenzo Cain. Taylor, what else you got? Lorenzo Cain's going to have more time to travel with his family and probably getting stuck in airport security lines. And hopefully he doesn't blow a gasket like Scott Van Pelt did on SV Pod on Monday night. Really? Uh, really? Was he pretty upset about this airport security? <laughs> yeah, he was He was getting hassled for sure, uh, you know, about just like the things his kids had. It was very, very funny. It's at the end of the episode. There's a lot of March Madness talk. Check out SV Pod wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. You know what's been going on with me? I don't know why, but I'm constantly getting the random check lately going through the, really? like the TSA line. <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the metal detector's going off, and they're like, random check. It's like four in a row. It's like winning the lottery. Man, that's a that's a tough break, man. For as much as you travel, too. Maybe you missed it out. You missed out on it so many times that it's like karma swinging back your way. It would be like, come on. I mean, if I was Tim Kirchin and an artificial hip or something <laughs> like that, that would make sense. <laughs> Wow, Tim just catching shrapnel. He did call you dumb before we started recording the other day, so maybe that that was deserved. (laughs) You can now stream the most Major League Baseball games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks, Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals and the hottest tickets. Experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Himbo, of course, is Paul Ambikides, a researcher at ESPN, a content producer on the show Get Up. He is Mike Greenberg's sidekick. And Hembo, I kind of can't wait until uh, the uh, episode that we have later this week because Mike Greenberg is going to join us. And, man, we're going to blast you. I I just feel like (laughs) it's going to be like a Hembo rip session. Yeah, like one of those uh, like Comedy Central roasts, except I'm not even sure if in this case I'll be here to defend myself. But either way, I'm sure the listeners are looking forward to it. Roasting Hembo, ripping Hembo is always good for content. Take it for me. Yeah, you'll be the Justin Bieber you know, for, for we're just going to stand up at a, a podium. But the cool thing is, is that you won't be able to respond to any of it. Yeah. You know? How cool is that? That'll be Not fun. A fair How was, uh, you, you took some weeks off to be with your little ones. How did that go? Two weeks of child bonding, Buster. Uh, I would say parenting has, has proven to be quite a bit more difficult than, than I may have anticipated. Now, obviously, we're going two at a time in our house. So perhaps that was to be expected. But I think I, I underestimated the, the extent to which everything in my life would be completely detonated. So I will say this, the girls are doing great. It was lovely to spend two weeks with them, but I would also say this, it is especially delightful to be talking baseball with you today. A, a slight aversion, a quick aversion from the sort of doldrums. And by the time you get to five and six o'clock at night, everyone in, in our house is screaming. And that includes me and my wife. <laughs> yeah. Wait till that they the can start running around and moving around. It's going to complicate your life times 10. Uh, but that that is definitely a fun time as a dad. All right. 
Uh, we've been talking all spring uh, about the the uh, rule changes that you have, the pitch clock. Tell me about some numbers that are showing that these rule changes are working. I want to hit three things, Buster. I want to hit time of day, uh, time of game. I want to hit the shift, and I want to hit the stolen bases. So over the previous four years, the average spring training game lasted two hours and fifty four minutes. Right now, that number is two hours and thirty six minutes. In other words, we have shaved eighteen minutes of <laughs> absolutely nothing. So that's step one, and that seems to be working quite well. Secondly, the shift. So here's what I did. I looked at ground balls and line drives from lefties to their pull side. That's obviously the subset that is most impacted by the shift restriction. In the previous four years, the batting average on balls in play on those types of batted balls was 295. Right now, that number is 309, a 14 percentage point increase. Over 162 games for 30 teams. Buster, we're talking about hundreds more hits if that carries over to the regular season, and there's no obvious reason to believe that it will not. My favorite one is stolen bases. So over the previous four years, the success rate in spring training was 73% on 1.7 attempts per game. Right now, those two numbers are 83% on 2.3 attempts per game. So the success rate is up 10%, and the frequency is up 35%. The difference is massive. The commonly accepted break-even point, we might call it, for running, for, for attempting to steal, is 75%. So if you're a speedster or you're managing a team against a, an especially slow pitcher to the plate, we will see some games this season that are totally unrecognizable to younger baseball fans. Of that, I'm fairly certain. Yeah, uh, what you're talking about with the stolen base percentage, Carlos Correa was talking about that, right? When I talked to him earlier in spring training about you, you've got to ha- hit a certain threshold. Those numbers also, by the way, are in keeping with what uh, I think it was Joe Martinez of Major League Baseball indicated that, look, we don't think that we're going to go back to an era in which this is him talking. We don't think we're going to go back to an era in which, you know, Vince Coleman stealing 120 bases. But we do think that we'll go back to the numbers of, say, the early 2000s. Um, and those numbers reflect that. How much, because of course, uh, you know, you throw out, uh, you know, a number like that from a couple of weeks of spring training games, you're going to have people saying, small sample size, small sample size. What would you, res- how would you respond to that? It's the only sample size that we have for okay. starters. And when we're talking about the entire league over the amount of time that they've played so far. It actually is a consequential amount of data. If, if, if I were to be asked in terms of the regular season impact on this, I think the best way to answer it is, it's going to most manifest on the extremes. I don't think you're going to see an incredible increase the way that you just described. Of course, I think that is exceedingly unlikely. However, especially because players haven't been trained in these ways, and so that might change now. But I think when you see pitchers that are especially slow, 1-4 or 1-5 at the plate, and when you see guys whose average sprint speed is, say, 30 feet per second, which is the very sort of top of the food chain on StatCast, you're going to see players like that really be affected by such things. So if you just look at the stolen base leaderboard throughout the season, it might not look that different, but you're going to see individual players and a few teams probably really benefit from it disproportionately that had the insight to predict that this was coming. Yeah. And also you're going to see teams begin to get tendencies on pitchers. Like that guy never throws the first or, you know, 80% of the times he throws once and he never throws a second time. You know, those will start to mix into scouting reports as teams begin to see more games. I want to ask you about a number that I tweeted out the other day because about spending by the San Diego Padres uh, relative to the rest of the league. And to put that number into context about the Padres, uh, you know, I noted that 
after the 2024 season for the Mets, after Scherzer, Verlander come off the books, the Mets, who have been spending like crazy, uh, are going to owe a total of about $485 million. The Padres' commitments after 2024, $1.01 billion, which is why you still have people with other teams going, not sustainable. There's going to be a major problem long-term for this team. You can't be paying guys $20, $30 million a year into their late 30s, say early 40s. What say you? I say that you are 100% right. And I want to make clear because Padres fans have got. And I want to make clear, that's not my opinion. That's what I'm getting back from front office people who are looking at the numbers. They are saying, oh, my God, this is a disaster for the Padres. Yeah, those are people that know. Here's what I think. What the Padres have have done and are doing is great for baseball because they have turned the number 30 media market and they're spending like George Steinbrenner owns the team. It, It makes them eminently interesting and fun to follow right now. But if we're going to consider some of the long-term consequences, which of course is one of the primary responsibilities of those in charge of the team, we have to consider the fact that over that time period that you just stated, 800 some million dollars, uh, 800 some million dollars uh, of that group is going to just the three players, the Bogarts, Machado and Tatis. And two of those players are already on the wrong side of 30. And when it comes to these mega contracts and these long contracts, the precedent says, Buckter, that it does not almost ever work out for the team. So here's what I've done to demonstrate that point. I took the top 50 contracts in history by total value. The average player output of that group is two war per season, $12.5 million per war those teams are paying. In other words, it's really, really bad value. So not only will they not have any liquidity, if, you, if, you, if I'm allowed to use a, a financial term down the road, but these are investments that themselves have proven to be volatile Historically, I can't for the life of me wrap my head around the fact of giving a 30-year-old player an 11-year contract knowing that for the second half of that thing, he is very likely to be an albatross. And if you're, say, uh, if your team is owned by Steve Cohen or a team with the infrastructure of the Yankees or maybe even the Dodgers, you might be able to get away with it. But the San Diego Padres, it's not like you can just give that contract to someone else like you can in the NBA. They're going to be eating those deals for a really long time and it's going to wind up being an exceedingly painful process for that fan base. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating because the way this is setting up, somebody's going to be really, really right. <laughs> Maybe that's the Padres, and somebody's going to be really, really wrong because there definitely is a huge divide in opinions over what they've been doing this spring. Uh, you and I, uh, off air, have been trading notes about Aaron Judge's home run over under uh, which, when I first heard them this year, for a guy who had 62 home runs last year, seemed really low to me. Take us through that. Yeah, so 43 and a half, you've seen. I've seen as high as 46 and a half. Either way, whatever sportsbook you're using, you're getting something like 45. My reflex is probably the same as yours and everyone else's. Pound the over. For, 100, for every 162 games Aaron Judge has played, he averages 49 home runs in the whole history of baseball. In the whole history. Only Mark McGuire has averaged more. There's actually also some pretty good historical precedent for him to run it back. So I looked at the average home run output for every player that's ever hit a ever hit 60 homers in a season. I looked at the season after. The average is actually 49, which is considerably higher than I thought. There's hmm. obviously two other factors to consider here. One, is he going to stay healthy? Because he's had issues. He's, at, he's missed on average 28 games per full season. So he's been bitten by the injury bug to some extent, probably not quite to the same extent that is often advertised. But secondly, and I think this is probably even more significant, Bunker, the question is, 
are they going to pitch to him this year? Because you and I were both stunned by how many fastballs he saw in the second half of last season when he was just laying waste to the American League. I'm sure he's going to walk close to once a game. His on-base percentage is going to be preposterous. I think if he plays 150 games, he'll hit more than 50 home runs this season, but all it takes is one nagging injury and perhaps a league that's just going to be totally averse to pitching to him when I think the rest of that lineup is actually kind of ordinary to throw that off. So here's the X factor in all this, and I'll just say this having watched a lot of games and gotten a sense for sort of the rhythm uh, of how guys are pitching with this new pitch clock. I think that there's going to be a spike in the in the percentage of fastballs used this year. Like I, I think if that makes sense, you know, you, because it felt like, especially with relievers, you know, the guy who had the great slider would throw one and then he'd back up behind the mound and sort of gather himself and collect, you know, rebound physically, recover. 25 seconds, he'd throw another bastard slider. That, I don't, that can't happen this year. And so I think they're, I, I have a, a loose theory at this point that they're going to be more fastballs, maybe even for Aaron Judge. Does that make sense? It does, and you've given me the assignment now of looking at fastball usage this spring in comparison to other years just to see if, at least in the early going, that passes this, uh, the smell test. All right, give me the best stat we're going to hear all week. So I am the president of the Juan Soto fan club, as has been well established on this podcast. But Buster, even I was astonished to uncover this statistic this week. You're going to help me deliver it. So Juan Soto has come to the plate 2,000 794 times in his career. That includes his postseason plate appearances. 2,794. Buster, my question for you is this. Of those 2,794 plate appearances, what is your guess as to how many of those are against pitchers that are younger than he is? Wow. Um, I'm going to say 8%. The answer is 13.5%. 5%. In his wow. entire career, Juan Soto has 13 plate wow. appearances against pitchers younger than him, 2,781 plate appearances against pitchers older than him. This is a guy with three silver sluggers. He's made the all-star team twice. He won the Derby. He's won a batting title, two on-base percentage titles. He was the best player on a World Series champion. And he's done all that despite facing an older pitcher, 99. of the time. Yeah. And by the way, Juan Soto, just to jump in here, Juan Soto was someone who basically learned, went from speaking no English to within two years doing interviews in English. This is a really, really smart guy. And so as he processes information, gathers information, I agree with you, like that uh, that chess match we're going to see between Soto and the players are going against that, that, uh, that's going to be fascinating. Uh, He's a terrific player, as you say. Hey, Hembo, thank you. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. Seattle Mariners. For the second straight season, the Mariners won 90 games in 2022, and they upset the Toronto Blue Jays in the wildcard round before being swept by the Astros in the division series. By any measure, it was a year of improvement for the franchise. From the trade and signing of all-star Luis Castillo to the emergence of superstar outfielder Julio Rodriguez, who won the American League Rookie of the Year award, taking 29 of 30 votes. Rodriguez also finished seventh in the AL MVP voting. 
Newcomers. Leading up to a season in which defensive shifts will be banned, Seattle swapped for rangy second baseman Cole Wong. They also traded for outfielder Teoscar Hernandez, who had an injury-riddled season in 2022 after driving in 116 runs in 2021. And the Mariners signed A.J. Pollock to bolster the team's depth. Gone, but not forgotten. There is extensive turnover among the position players. Adam Frazier, Carlos Santana, and Mitch Haniger departed as free agents. Jesse Winker was traded for Wong. The X Factor. Robbie Ray was the big acquisition for the Mariners going into the 2022 season, signing a five-year, $115 million deal after winning the 2021 Cy Young Award, and he performed at a league average level. His adjusted ERA Plus was exactly 100. He got hit hard in his one start in the playoffs and then allowed a game-ending home run to Jordan Alvarez in the division series. His average fastball velocity was down about a mile and a half last year, and the Mariners' staff hopes he regains some of that. Fault lines. The Mariners succeeded in spite of their offense last season when Seattle ranked 18th of 30 teams in run scored, which is why there was a lot of winner change in this group. The Mariners hope that Hernandez can help the middle of the order and that others improve, like perhaps Jared Kelnick, who's still just 23 years old and got off to a really good start in spring training. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Okay, there's a lot more variance than you might expect here, after a strong 2022 season. Hembo says 87 wins for the 2023 Mariners. Sarah pegs them at 90. I've got 89. Pakoda, 81.7. Shockingly low to me. Jerry Depoto is the head of baseball operations for the Seattle Mariners. Jerry, how you doing this morning? Excellent, rarely better. Uh, so I know these numbers are going to be familiar with you. And for the record, we need to remind everybody that the baseball proje- uh, prospectus projection model is not biased. It's a lot of data fed into a, a statistical system. And the number that was spat out for your Mariners, Jerry, was 81.7 wins among all the numbers that they spat out. That one was like, what? How could that happen? I'm sure you were aware of it or saw that when you did. What, what was your reaction? You know, we've we've generally been underprojected through the Pakota system for years, and and that dates through the time that I've been here. And and I don't know what it is, but there's you know some teams there's a nuance about that team for what the projections like or don't like. We use projections pretty aggressively in uh, in trying to determine where we stand through an off season or headed into spring. So we do find value in them. And, you know, in this case, we just find a little more value than maybe Pakoda sees. <laughs> so tell, what do you think the difference is? Because my instinct when I saw it was, well, the Mariners aren't necessarily don't have this dynamic offense. You know, 18th out of 30 teams in run scored last year. Yeah, I think part of that is our ballpark. So if you normalize yeah. the statistics for the ballpark, you know, on WRC plus for fan graphs, if it's OPS plus and, and baseball reference, we actually stand as an above average offensive team. We we do make things happen offensively. We walk, we hit homers, you know, we're we're good at those two things. And I think we went out and we made ourselves better with the additions of Colton Wong and Teoscar Hernandez and AJ Pollock. So I, I don't know if it, if, if it captures the, the nuances of your home ballpark in the same way we might, or the same lens we might look through, but that's certainly part of it. We're, we're deep offense, not necessarily a star-studded one. 
Yeah, you guys turned over. Yeah, I mean, the 90 win season, uh, highly successful season, year of progress for you guys, and yet you turned over a, a fair amount of your position player group. If you can just walk us through some of your thinking there. Yeah, you know, we, we had a couple of free agents, you know, Mitch Hanniger and Adam Frazier, who were, you know, playing out the last year of their contracts with us here in Seattle. Uh, we made some effort to, to keep both, but uh, obviously not enough <laughs> based on where they, you know, call home today. But we uh, we needed most certainly to replace those two positions. And that's where Colton Wong and, and Teoscar Hernandez came in via trade, you know, who who backfill our roster there. We, we feel like both do a lot for us in, in very different ways. Uh, Colton's a, an on-base guy who we think, you know, is is – he had an atypically down year defensively last year, and, and we think is one of the best defensive second basemen in baseball at a time when range should be a really important factor in, in putting together your middle infield defense, particularly at second base. And, and Teoscar has been one of the, the better run producers in the league for the last three or four years, and we feel like that's a real advantage. And then we were very – focused on the idea of grabbing a right-hand bat, someone we could pair with Jared Kelnick in left field, you know, to give Jared the, the best chance at success without throwing him into the deep end of the pool with no chance to, to swim. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, uh, so far this spring, Jared looks like he's really clicking. AJ fits in wonderfully, and that combination in left field and DH really stands to be a positive for us. Yeah, when I saw and I got to know AJ through the years, uh, you obviously know him well. Um, I, when I saw that you guys picked him up, I thought he was not only, you know, a, a guy, the, the phrase that you hear managers use a lot is protect, uh, you know, a, a, a hitter like Jared, but also to help him, like a, to develop as a, as a young player and, and help him, you know, walk him through at bats and what to expect game to game. Uh, how much of that have you seen from AJ so far? A ton, you know, which won't surprise you. I, I have the benefit of having, you know, been with the Diamondbacks when we drafted AJ and and have kind of known what his his skill set is beyond just what he does on a baseball field. And AJ is a very smart player. He's intuitive. He's, he's very communicative and he's fit right in here. And I, I think part of where he sees himself at, at this stage in his career is in that give back space, you know, to give back to the young players you know, like he was when he came to the big leagues and and some of the veterans that were able to to hand off to him. And that's one of the things with the, the veteran group that we added, you know, with AJ, with Teoscar and Colton, even Tommy LaStella, who we picked up late in the offseason. You know, those four guys have played on, I think, 20 different playoff teams. And, you know, that was important to us because we did crack through last year and, and there is an expectation that exists around our team. And having veteran players who've been there before and can help our young guys, you know, cross that, that bridge, I think is a really important factor. What's the next step for Julio Rodriguez in your mind as he ascends uh, from the superstar prospect maybe into a superstar? It, it seems to be happening before our eyes. You know, he is, uh, he's such a, a fun player to be around. And there's, there's really no capping what he can do physically. He truly is the, the, the consummate five tool guy. And, and if there were six and seventh tools, you know, for, for makeup and instinct, he has those too. And, you know, maybe the most refreshing part of our spring so far outside of some, some players really finding their groove in the early going has been the fact that after such a 
you know, a busy off season, winning the rookie of the year, award shows, TV commercials, lots of advertisements, you know, and, and marketing opportunities. Julio showed up in our clubhouse and he's Julio, you know, he's, he's still the, the fun, the little brother in the clubhouse that everybody loves. But I mean, he has a chance to do things on the field that are just different than a lot of guys. He's got power. He can run, he can defend, he throws, there's, he hits for average. He uses the field and it's, he's a unique talent and, and he wants to be great, which I think is, is part of what makes him so interesting to be around is he doesn't shy away from the attention that's associated with, with wanting to grow into that star player. And, and I think it's happening. The comp for me with his personality is Aaron Judge of the Yankees. I mean, set aside the particular skills, but in terms of being a a natural clubhouse leadership of having a lot of joy that could uh, exude throughout a clubhouse, other, other players. I mean, Aaron Judge, from the time he showed up with the Yankees, he was a leader. The one thing that I wonder if if Julio is going to be learning as time goes on, the same as Aaron Judge did, and Aaron Boone was the first one to tell me this, is that Aaron Judge had to learn how to uh, effectively use his body more to stay on the field. In other words, there'd be times to pull back. Does that make sense? Because, and I've watched him play with such enthusiasm, like he's going to have to dial it back a little bit as he gets older. Does that make, you know, from your perspective and knowing him, does that make sense? It absolutely does. And, and I actually think he started to learn those lessons in the second half of last season. And, you know, he did suffer a couple of things last year that sent him to the IL and some that you just can't get away from, you know, when you, when you jam a finger sliding into second base or you get hit in the hand, those are things that, that generally are just going to happen. But the other things, you know, the low back, the stresses of playing every day, especially at a position that, that forces you to be physical like center field or shortstop or the catcher. Uh, and I'll, I'll give credit to Mitch Hanniger here. You know, Mitch was wonderful for, for Julio and just urging him, hey, take a step back. You don't need to go 110% every day. And and when there is something bother you, that's why there's a 26-man roster. And, you know, we'll figure out a way to, to sub in. But, you know, we're not the same team when he's not on the field. So I hope he learned those lessons well. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it is young players as they, they learn to play a 162-game season. And then they get the experience of what a postseason feels like and, and where their body is when they get to that point. I think those are incredibly valuable lessons. And, you know, I, I'd go beyond just Julio. With such a young group of guys, Cal Raleigh, some of our young pitchers, the lessons that they learned last year in that regard, were enormous. How do you see your division? Uh, you know, we in the media, knuckleheads like me, we focus on the National League East. We focus on the American League East. But your division has ramped up. Defending champions, you guys, Rangers, spent a lot of money in the wintertime. They get Jacob DeGrom. Uh, the Angels, you know, being aggressive, trying to win with Shohei Otani in 2023. How do you see the West? You know, we think all four of those teams that you mentioned got better. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say the Astros got better. They've been great for six years. <laughs> and, you know, we've been looking up at them all that time. And, and I guess to, to that end, regardless of what projection system you're looking at, they're still the best team in our league, and you know, at least in our opinions. And uh, there's they're a different team, you know, no Justin Verlander most especially, which I, doesn't displease me to say. <laughs> it's a, He's been a thorn in our side for, for the last four years or so. But, you know, the Astros are still the, the class of our division and I think the best team in the league until somebody proves otherwise. 
both the Rangers and the Angels got better. Uh, the Angels built a higher floor than they've had in a number of years. And, you know, I think that makes them a real threat. And the Rangers pitching, if they stay healthy, it's as, about as good a pitching staff as you can put together. And, you know, our hope is that, you know, the depth of our team, one year older, one year wiser for our young core, and then adding a, a handful of, of veteran players to, to add some thump to the lineup and some spice in the clubhouse. We like our pitching and we feel like one through 13, we can go pitch with anybody. We've been very efficient catching the ball. You know, I think the the most efficient team in the American League in some ways, uh, we don't make a ton of mistakes and beat ourselves. And that's going to be what we have to stand on because the teams around us got better. And, you know, the, the team in front of us certainly didn't get worse. So we're going to have to figure out a way to optimize what we do in the way we do it, which is to pitch it, to catch it, you know, walk and hit a homer. And and those are the things that we've historically done pretty well. Yeah, you're old enough to remember this. Uh, when the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls were ascending, the team that they had to overcome was the Detroit Pistons. And it felt like year after year they'd bang up against them and then they would lose. And then that young core of players with the Bulls eventually overcame the Pistons. And then, you know, you had the the team that they had. I kind of felt that way watching you guys in that series against the Astros last year. Like, uh, so from your perspective, what's it going to take with your group of players and, and who might those guys be to help lead them over the top that the Astros, uh, you know, that challenge the Astros present? You know, now that you put it that way, I, I'm, I'm envisioning Justin Verlander as Bill Lambeer and I'm, <laughs> he's out of town. But, uh, you know, we are, you know, we are, Confident. It's a confident group. You know, the second half of last year, I think the last 94 games of the season, which is not an insignificant amount of time. We were the second best team in the American League over that stretch and and right there playing game for game with Houston. Unfortunately for us or the schedule makers didn't have Houston piled in to our second half very often. I think we only saw them four times. So, you know, a lot of their early success was at our expense. And, and you know, when we did get a chance to see them again in the postseason, we matched up pretty favorably. And I think in the – despite the fact that we got swept, which is still, you know, it's something that, that sticks in the craw of a number of our players, you know, that series, we were either tied or in the lead, I think, 32 of the 36 innings we played, which was – a phenomenal thing for a team that got swept. And I think it gave our players a little bit of an edge, you know, looking forward to a full season from George Kirby, you know, Julio Rodriguez, Andres Munoz, Cal Raleigh. These guys were very different players from the first of June to the end of the season uh, than they were in the the early part of the season. So I, I think our group feels like they're already at that level. And it's just a matter of going out there and proving it on the field, which is uh, I know something we're all looking forward to. Jerry, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. You got it, Buster. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, 
you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield, the covers baseball for ESPN. Dave, how you doing? I'm good. I was up at 6 a.m. this morning, Buster, watching uh, Panama and Chinese Taipei in the World Baseball Classic. Just like you were. You're always up at 6 in the morning. Well, yeah, I got up at 4 o'clock here in Montana, so it was a little bit earlier than that. Uh, but it's fun to watch games that actually have some consequence. So, like, I love going to spring training games this year to see the impact of the pitch clock, but it's just something different when they actually you can see people lose and get eliminated. That's just so much more fun. It is fun. It, like, yeah, like you said, this year, spring training, obviously, you know, a million times more interesting than previous spring trainings. But I, I, I like the WBC. You know, it's something fun. And even though maybe U.S. baseball fans aren't super into it, you know, it's a big deal everywhere else, especially over in Japan and Korea. You know, Japan, they won the first two, didn't make the last two finals. A lot of pressure on that team to to win it all this year. And they, they have an unbelievable team that does have a chance to win. I wonder if the fans, vis a vis the WBC, if they're going to, fans in the United States are going to follow the lead of the players. I remember when the WBC first started, you just got a sense that the players didn't really care, the U.S. players. But increasingly, that's not the case. Like, there's a conversation among those guys. You know, now you have Mike Trout leading the way. You got Adam Wainwright, you know, at the end of his career saying, look, I want to participate in that. Uh, we saw, you know, the year when Marcus Stroman was pitching in it. There was there was more excitement. It felt like it was building as they went forward. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Trout, he's playing for the first time. The Dominican lineup has gotten a lot of publicity, a lot of tweets. But Buster, especially now with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. out, the U.S. lineup is better. I looked at last year's numbers and – Based on 22, 2022 numbers, the U.S. lineup is better. You got Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and Trout and Mookie Betts and Kyle Tucker and Kyle Schwarber and Jeff McNeil, you know, Trey Turner, JT Real Muto. I mean, Buster, I didn't go back. I wanted to look at some of the best all-star lineups of all time. And I know the first all-star game in 1933, every player in the American, American League lineup eventually made the Hall of Fame, but – the U.S. lineup is one of the best lineups ever assembled, and the Dominican lineup isn't far behind. So uh, let's hope those two teams meet down the road. Yeah, and I, I just get a sense of that, you know, my conversations with players who are playing in it, they just love the idea of going there and actually having the plate appearances mean something. Yeah. You know, as one player, I'm not going to use his name in fairness to him, but he was talking about like, you know, I can get a couple of plate appearances in some uh, exhibition game where no one cares, no one's really paying attention, or I can go and, and have those at-bats where you have a higher level of intensity. And from what he told me, the conversation among the players is, this might actually help you for the start of the regular season. You might be better prepared than playing exhibition games. We'll have to see about that. Uh, some interesting news developing in the National League East. All three of the teams we see as major contenders – Uh, The Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies have all had some injury issues on, and so I want to get your read on these. 
Uh, Andrew Painter came out of this game the other day with some elbow discomfort. The Phillies actually haven't forwarded information to reporters about what's going on. Scott Boris, uh, you know, making an appearance in Phillies camp. They're gathering information, they're telling us. That, to me, there's so many red flags in how this is playing out, especially for a guy who we thought coming into spring training had a chance to impact that rotation, Dave. Yeah, we were hearing so many good things about him, even though he doesn't turn 20 until early in April. All indications were he had a chance to maybe even break camp as their number five starter. So, yeah, you don't want to jump to any conclusions until – you get more information, but certainly he was arguably along with Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles, one of the top two pitching prospects in baseball. So the Phillies at some point, at least they were counting on this guy this year. Now we don't know. Now we've seen uh, when it comes to Tommy John injuries, uh, you know, Tommy John surgery, and we don't know the Phillies haven't told us what it is, uh, but we certainly have seen a lot of pitchers through the years have elbow discomfort and that's where it winds up leading there are a lot of variations now of elbow treatment. So it might be that, you know, he winds up, uh, you know, depending on the severity of it, might be an extended absence, might be something where he gets treatment for a short period of time and he's available this year. We'll just have to wait and see and then react to the information when it comes out. Jose Quintana uh, goes out with a fractured rib in his, uh, in his rib cage for the Mets. It's a big loss. Yeah, no doubt. You know, one of their free agent signings, you know, had a real solid bounce back year last year after a couple off years and some injuries. So he was going to be in mainstay. Doesn't sound like it's going to be long term, but the Mets, you know, they have uh, options here. David Peterson, you know, would now slide into that fifth spot. He was a, you know, starter reliever last year. Very good underrated pitcher. That's really not much of a drop off. They still have Tyler McGill, who had some promising moments last year as a starter. So they do have the depth to survive without Quintana, you know. But it's just a reminder, Buster, teams that make the playoffs are often the ones whose starting pitchers stay healthy. Yeah, and last year you mentioned about, uh, you know, the question of how long he's going to be out. You know, the closest comp I could think of was Chris Sale, you know, who got hurt uh, riding his bike. He suffered a fractured ribs, and it was months. It yeah, was months he, before he came back. And, you know, given Quintana's age, maybe they're careful. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, the Atlanta Braves are hopeful that Kyle Wright's going to be uh, ready by opening day. Um, he's yet to appear in his spring game after having cortisone shot to address a right shoulder issue. That shot occurred in January. Uh, you know, first off, I don't think the Braves are a team that really behind the scenes care about whether or not he's open for uh, ready for opening day. I think their focus is going to be on hoping that he's ready for the season. Yes? Yeah, no, but no, absolutely. And uh, it's none of, one of those wait and see situations. But look, we're expecting another dogfight in that division. You know, the, the Mets Braves, they tied last year. The Phillies might be right up there with them this year. So every win in that division is going to be so important. But, you know, like you got to look at the long view here. You want Kyle Wright to be healthy in the second half and for the playoffs, but you know, you also don't want to finish in second place. You want to avoid that, you know, best of three wildcard series. So there's still a lot of pressure, especially in that division to, to be healthy and play well from the get-go. 
And I was wondering sort of the impact uh, that he might have physically after having this great season last year, 21 and five, 3.19 ERA, a big step forward in terms of his production, the big leagues. But a lot of times in that case with a young pitcher, the next year there can be a toll. Uh, I asked Jerry DePoto about this win projection that Dakota gave the Mariners (laughs) 81.7. I like did a double take Dave when I saw it, I'm like, what? And, And as I mentioned, you know, uh, to to Jerry, look, it's not like there's bias here. It's a computer formula. It's a st- statistical formula. But I don't see under any circumstances team wins as few as 81.7. What do you think? Yeah, it seems a little low. And I know Pakota has the Angels at 87 wins. Um, Seattle seems to ha- have a higher floor than that due to their starting pitching you know, very deep rotation. Plus, they have this kid, Bryce Miller. Maybe you ask Jerry uh, about him. You know, he's not going to start the year in the majors, but, you know, double-A pitcher of the year last year in the Texas League, um, throws hard, great breaking ball. I think he's going to make an impact in that rotation in the second half. So that depth of starting pitching, to me, just seems to give them a, a higher floor than 81 wins. But, you know, the offense, yeah, you know, it depends a lot on Julio Rodriguez and Teoscar Hernandez and and Ty France, and they want, you know, what's Colton Wong going to offer? Is Eugenio Suarez going to have the same year as last year? Jared Kelnick, you know, does he finally break out? So there are some concerns about the offense. What's your read on Kelnick in, in, early in spring, or you're not going to take one because it's just uh, apples and oranges? Yeah, you know <laughs> – it's spring training. He had a home run the other day off Devin Williams, you know, the all-star reliever from the Brewers that went over the batting eye out there. I think the game was in Peoria, you know, so that's a 440-foot shot. Then again, it was a fastball right down the middle. Jared Kelnick can crush a fastball right down the middle. It's still, can he recognize and adjust to the off-speed stuff? That's been his bugaboo. He just – Buster, he doesn't have that pitch recognition. So I know the Mariners are very optimistic. He's made some adjustments with his uh, swing in the offseason. He's looking great. But will the big game start? I'm going to, you know, hold off here. Yeah, he's 23 years old. Uh, you're, you're right about you mentioned the Mariners offense as being the reason why uh, you know, potentially that, uh, you know, their win projection so low. I kind of look at it as, you know what? They effectively won in spite of their offense last year. They were 18th out of 30 teams in runs scored. And with the addition of Hernandez, you know, the development of some of their younger players, I I think they actually have a higher ceiling with their offense, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do too. I mean, Cal Raleigh, you know, he's going to hit 30 home runs this year. He's not going to give you a high average or a high on base, but he's a big slugger. You know, Julio, you hate to – expect him to get better, but logically he's only 22. He's going to get a little better, a little more consistent. Just check his numbers in the second half when he hit over 300. I think he can do that over a full season. Um, so, yeah, I think the offense will be be a little better, but there are some things that might happen that probably is what the computer is looking into and not giving them that that, you know, 85 to 90 win kind of floor. All right, early in spring training, when I asked you about a team that maybe would exceed uh, your <laughs> expectations during the year or general expectations during the year, you picked out the Arizona Diamondbacks. But before we got started, you told me that you actually uh, have worked on a piece where you're backing away from that. What's that about? <laughs> 
Yeah, I got a piece. I think they're publishing it tomorrow, and it is on my five surprise teams. So what I did, Buster, is I went back and looked at all the losing teams over the last uh, five seasons, skipping that 2020 window, and the ones that got better, what did they do to get better? And I know you had mentioned the Cubs as your surprise team, and uh, not surprisingly, the teams that get better with their pitching and their defense, their run prevention are the ones who improve the most. It's easier to get better pitching-wise than hitting-wise. And I'm looking at that Arizona pitching staff. They didn't make any major additions. They're, you know, they're counting on the, the rookies. They're counting on Madison Bumgarner and Zach Davies again, who weren't very good last year. They didn't really add much to the bullpen. So as much as I like their young outfield, I like the overall direction of the organization, I don't think the pitching is there in 2023 to make a big leap. I like them a little more in 2024. So who is one of your surprise teams? Well, I, I'll agree with Pakoda here. You know, the Angels, um, Yeah, they're there. I mean, look, first of all, you got Otani and Trout. You know, that's a great foundation, but – their, their bottom of their roster was so bad last year. They had, I think it's like 15 players that produced negative war. So sub-replacement level players. They've added the depth. You know, they added Hunter Renfro and Brandon Drury and Gio Urshela. I think Tyler Anderson was a nice addition to the rotation. So I can see why the computer likes the Angels. They just have more depth. Uh, than they've ever had in recent years. So that I think that AL West is going to be a lot of fun, especially if the Rangers uh, surprise as well. Well, and you know Perry Manassian is waking up every day in the offseason uh, as general manager and trying to figure out a way to make that team better. Yeah, but there's a part of me that almost feels like this is a curse for the Angels. <laughs> yeah. It is. Like, Something always goes wrong. It, yeah, if if they're hanging around there, let's say they're you know five games over five hundred as we get close to the trade deadline. There's no way Artie Moreno is going to know okay a trade of Shohei Otani and big picture, right? Dave, that needs to happen. Like it needs <laughs> to happen, but more and more, I don't think it's going to. I think they're going to be better as you know, Pakota projects as you just talked about, and I think that's going to undercut any thought of trading him. I do too, and they had a you know Buster. They had a sneaky quality rotation last year sixth yes in the majors in era sixth in Fangraphs war and now they in you know whether you want to believe in tyler anderson you know i don't know if he's going to do a two five four era or whatever again but he added that uh revised change up last year so i think he's semi-legit otani obviously is a cy young contender um you know it's patrick sandoval is a really underrated lefty you know so I like that rotation. Yeah, a lot of this is, is Mike Trout going to be healthy? And that's not even factoring in if Anthony Rendon comes back and gives them anything. That's just kind of a bonus if he produces. Um, and they keep an eye on their, their number one pick last year, shortstop named Zach Nito, who made it to double A in his draft year and hit 320. He could make an impact maybe at shortstop in the second half. Yeah, I, I, that might be one where if you're working in that front office, you know that the best time to have traded Otani was probably last July. Right. You know, that's when you're going to get the best value. Um, and now it's close enough. And I, <laughs> Otani's almost going to make it impossible for them to trade him because I think he's going to be so great this year. And the team is going to be good enough. And, and you're going to wind up 
Really? Otani is going to walk away as a free agent potentially, and all you're going to get back is draft pick compensation? Really? Buster, how far back would they have to be on July 31st for them to to consider trading him? Okay, and I'm saying this only because, you know, I've heard the stories about Arnie Moreno in terms of how he feels about, like, midseason trades and and how he just doesn't, you know, that's not something that he would necessarily be into. I think they might have to be eliminated, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Which, obviously, they're not going to be. Uh, Yeah. I, I mean, more seriously, 10 games under 500. But, I mean, imagine all that would have to go wrong for the Angels to be that far back. Right. Especially you know? with the, you know, with the additional playoff team, you got to be really bad. Really to be bad. out of it by then. You know, like, you know, Detroit Tigers bad. You know, and the Angels, I, I'm with you. I don't see how they're going to be that bad in, in just you know, a few months. And here's the other part of that, too. Artie Moreno, he might feel like, you know what, I'd rather just wait for Otani to walk away as a free agent as opposed to me trading him and essentially making it clear to the world, look, he's not coming back. Right. You know, if, if uh, you know, it's like uh, breaking up, right, it, with a girlfriend. It, you feel like you, you want the other person to make that move, right, or you want to make the move. But somehow or another, uh, it, it's got to be – I think from Artie Moreno's perspective, he doesn't want to have that on his hands. Does that make sense? It, it makes sense. And look, even if their odds of re-signing him are 2% or 3%, well, that's a small glimmer of hope that maybe somehow you can, you know, convince him to come back to Anaheim. And you don't want to, you know, give that up by trading him. And oh, by the way, that's kind of how we viewed the Angels when Otani became available. Like they were the two percent or three percent team, and that's where he chose, right? Yeah. Look, we know. Yeah. Look, we know the Dodgers are are probably. You guys talked about this a little on Monday. You know, the Dodgers are saving up, and the Mets. Who knows how much they'll give them? But you know, you don't want to ju- just say goodbye by trading him in the middle of the season. Right. Exactly. All right, Dave. Good to talk with you. All right, Buster. Colorado Rockies. The Rockies finished 43 games out of first place in 2022 with a 68-94 record. Colorado needs to find some traction in an increasingly competitive National League West landscape. At the moment, it's unclear how that could happen. Newcomers. Colorado picked up some leftovers in free agency. The Rockies signed reliever Brad Hand to a one-year contract, and in recent days they added veteran infielder Mike Moustakis to play second, and he's going to have to play. Following the crushing season-ending shoulder injury to Brendan Rodgers, who was arguably Colorado's best position player last season. Gone, but not forgotten. Carlos Estevez, a solid and reliable reliever, departed for nice money with the Angels, getting $13.5 million over two years. Breakout star. The Rockies are ready to commit playing time to shortstop Ezekiel Tovar, who is ranked as the number 35 overall prospect by ESPN's Kylie McDaniel. Tovar, 21, thrived in the minors in 2022, graduating from AA and AAA, where he batted 319 in 71 games and had a handful of plate appearances in the big leads in September. He hits for power, he runs, and he's likely to be a candidate for National League Rookie of the Year. Fault Lines. 
The Rockies signed Chris Bryant to a seven-year, $182 million contract, and year one was, without a doubt, a disaster. Bryant's deal shocked many other teams because of his injury history, and in 2022, he played in only 42 games, hitting five homers. Incredibly, Bryant is still looking for his first Coors Field home run in a Rockies uniform. In 111 plate appearances at home last season, he drove in a total of five runs. Bryant is the highest-paid player on the team, and Cap. Captain Obvious would tell you if the Rockies had any chance to climb into the upper echelon of the National League West, they desperately need more from Bryant. The X Factor. Of course, it's the Rockies pitching. Daniel Bard was one of the best relievers in baseball last year, but Colorado ranked dead last in ERA. And if the rule changes prompt an increase in run production, as anticipated, that's not necessarily good news for a team that will need a lot of swing and miss from the pitching staff. Colorado ranked 29th of 30 teams in strikeout rate. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. I've got the Rockies for 66 wins because I do believe that playing at home gives Colorado a bit of an equalizer unlike other home field advantages. And Hembo hit on the exact same number, 66. Pakota has Colorado for 64.2 wins. Sarah Langs gets the last word in the Rockies. She says 64. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Corey Rukert writes in, as a Reds fan, our great hope is that when a botch this, is it, is it Eli De La Cruz? Um, I'm guessing Ellie De La Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz is the next Tatis, Trout, etc. How good is he and what's an MLB comparison for him? So I reached out to a longtime evaluator, Corey, to get an opinion on this because I have not seen him play on a regular basis. Uh, and what I got back was, O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates because of that great speed and power combo that uh, De La Cruz has as an infielder. The comp that I saw when I looked at his his minor league numbers, they reminded me a lot of someone you as a Reds fans remember, and that's Eric Davis. Now, Eric Davis was an outfielder. He was an infielder, but he was the guy, you know, 30-30, that type of player. And that's probably the level of excitement, I think, within baseball about what his potential is. He's going to be a great player. BK Cubs fan writes in, with the pitch clock, do you foresee an increase in complete games this year? Shorter games means less time and effort to get through nine innings pitched. Yes, I do. I think we're going to see some games where it's just like this momentum uh, where a starting pitcher is going to just get on a roll. And the hitters are going to be on the defensive. I think you're going to see it in day games after night games where it's going to feel like the first three innings take about 20 minutes. Nice. <laughs> and suddenly you're going to look up and the, and the starting pitcher is only going to have 30 pitches. And he's going to have a chance to have a complete game. P.K. Steinberg with a little bit of snark here. He writes in MLB got rid of pitchers throwing four balls for an intentional walk. Should they cease having players running the bases on over the fence home runs to speed up the game at all? I don't think P.K. likes the rule changes. Sorry, P.K. (laughs) This next question, uh, Sarah Abbott needs to ask you, Buster, because she has some questions of her own. Go ahead, Sarah. Okay, so this question comes from Z at Iron Rooster FF. Tired of seeing players hit above the shoulders, make the ball easier to handle, or allow sticky stuff. Thoughts? My question is, is sticky stuff just sunscreen rosin? Because is that really that big of a deal? Sticky stuff? Yes. Absolutely, it's a huge deal. And in fact, and I'm just, this is total speculation on my part, based on watching games, I'm seeing pitchers illegally load up the ball 
uh, in their hands in a way that I did not see a year ago. I'm seeing that constantly. And I don't know if, you know, Major League Baseball is like, look, we're just, you know, the pitch clock is the priority. That's what we're going to focus on. We're not going to worry about sticky stuff. But, man, I'm seeing a lot of guys load up. And it does. And you can tell that, Sarah, by the spin rates. It's a big deal. And they can control the ball better. Um, there clearly were pitchers that benefited from it. You know, in answering my answer to this question is two things. The ball pitchers still say the balls are slick, which is mind boggling. You know, we landed someone on the moon 60 years ago and we can't get a, a baseball for major league baseball. Uh, and the other thing too, is, is that the way pitchers train at a young age, they don't get as many innings in the minor leagues. They don't, their command is not as good. And the focus is throw the ball as absolutely as hard as you can and so I think mistakes are made in a way that maybe they didn't when guys are throwing 89 or 90 miles per hour. I, I don't think that those, uh, you know, that pitchers have the kind of command they used to. Are you satisfied, Sarah? I am. My next question, though, what specifically is sticky stuff? Is it sunscreen rosin or is it other? Like, spider tack. Spider tack. Spider tack. Okay. Right. Okay, it's a uh, yeah, or some sort of uh, you know homemade substance. We've we've read about pitchers using that as well, and they put it on their hands. And I'm telling you, I'm seeing a lot of it. You and all you have to do is watch how pitchers what they do with their pitching hand in between pitches. You, I've seen so many going to that spot below their gloved hand, and it, it, it's and I've I've asked questions about it. I'm curious to see if at some point Major League Baseball says, look, we we got to crack down on this. All right, Sarah, pulling some nuggets out of you, Buster. That was, yeah, that was some okay. good producing right there. Uh, let's go to Don Irvine. Don writes in, I'm going to attend spring training for the first time in my life with my adult son. It's only taken me a little over 50 years of baseball fandom for this to happen. What Cactus League games, team stadiums should we see between March 20th and 23rd? Without looking at the calendar here, Buster, what are your favorite places to catch a game in the Cactus League? Yeah, Arizona Diamondbacks uh, home park is great, but I actually think it's hard to find a bad spring training site in Arizona. I mean, it's really easy to get around. Uh, there's no more than an hour drive separating all the ballparks, and a lot of them are relatively new and re really nice. You know, I uh, they built the complex in Peoria for the Padres and Mariners in my last year covering the Padres. I love that place. Sarah Gillespie at a typical faith rights and dear bleacher tweeters. Bleacher tweets, I feel worried that the pitch clock is taking the poetry out of baseball. Does everything in our culture have to be optimized and efficient? Aren't we losing something intrinsically good about the game? Yes, yeah, Sarah, I wish this could happen without the clock, but this is the result of 40 years of players slowing down in between pitches, uh, pitchers slowing down in between pitches. If you go back and watch a replay of a game from the 1970s, it just goes faster. Because the pitchers get on the mound and hitters step back in the box. That that's at the root of all this. And if those little habits, you know, the uh, you know, I had players say to me through the years, well, that's how I get ready for a pitch. That's how I get ready for my plate appearance. If that sort of culture hadn't developed, we wouldn't be in this spot. And I would say this: uh, in all those years where you didn't have a pitch clock for 70, 80 years, you had great moments, right? You had the poetry in baseball, and the players are moving faster. Yeah, absolutely. Last one for today. Elizabeth Hart at eHart Tweets writes in, Yuli Gurliel still hasn't signed. Do you think there's a team that still picks him up before the regular season, or will it take a Gavin Lux-style injury to a first baseman for him to get a contract? Yeah, I think someone will pick him up. I'm sure that he's got an offer. He has a reputation as being a good clubhouse guy, so I'm sure he's gotten offers from teams. 
but maybe it's for not the right amount of money or maybe he sees roadblocks for playing time. But at some point, I would expect he's going to be like, you know what, I need to get in an organization. I need to face live pitching. I need to get going. And he'll make a choice. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets for this Wednesday. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Good batch from today. Keep sending them in. We will be back on Friday. That's it for today. My thanks to Jerry DePoto, to Hembo, Dave, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.